Recovery Elevator, episode 428. You know those like those little merry-go-rounds that kids have at playgrounds where you spin and spin and spin and like you try and throw your friends off? That's what I felt like I was on. I felt like and it was going faster and faster and I couldn't hold on. Like I just felt like I was going to just be thrown into the universe. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so pumped to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's episode, we have Lauren. She's 54 years old from Rochester, New York, and took her last drink on November 19th, 2022. I want to give a huge shout out to Ty, who edits this podcast. She recently hit 15 years alcohol-free, 15 years away from a drink. My goodness, Ty, you're my hero. You're a legend. And thank you so much for everything you've done for this movement, for my own sobriety, And I can't wait to see what the future brings. I want to give a shout out to Bradley in South Denver for three days alcohol free. That's what's up, my man. Great job. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe RE chat hosts. Y'all do an incredible job. And speaking of Cafe RE, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, You can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. Today has already been a good day. Okay, let's get started. Today is the episode we are going to find out if you have a drinking problem or not. Chris, get me a drum roll. Are you ready? Now, I know my tone doesn't quite match up with the severity of the question posed, and I'll explain why. It almost sounds like I'm raffling off a ski trip to Aspen, Colorado for two. All right, so when it finally sunk or landed with me that I have a drinking problem, a good one at that, two things happened. At first I was like, oh fuck, 
Then immediately after, as this truth spread into my body, to my bones, to my conscious, to my unconscious, to the heart, to the soul, to the liver, something neat happened. And I'm talking like a couple seconds later, an incredible amount of energy was instantly liberated for two reasons. Number one, the stigma or label of an alcoholic didn't change who I was. I was still alive. I was still Paul. But number two, and this is more importantly, all the energy, the incessant thinking of, do I drink or do I not? Do I have a problem or not? How am I going to control my next session of drinking? Usually unsuccessful. How am I going to hide it? Let's do our best not to black out before 8 PM. And do I have another shitty box wine at home? Let's not let people know we've already had nine drinks before meeting up at the bar. All of that bullshit went away instantly. In fact, the worst place a person can be with a drinking problem is in limbo. The do I or do I not have a drinking problem phase. And I also covered that a little more in episode 417. All right. So for today's diagnostic, we are going to use the test listed in the DSM-5 or the Diagnostical Statistical Manual, which is what most therapists or psychologists use or have somewhere on their shelves. All right. Here we go to have a drinking problem or not. Okay, I'll soften the tone. And here's how it works. You must meet two out of the 11 criteria to qualify. So you must say yes to two of these within the past 12 months. Oh yeah, and they call it an alcohol use disorder. And I'm gonna give you my answers as well. Number one, are you ready? Honesty is key here. Here we go. Number one, drinking more or longer than you intended. Huh, that's a solid yes for me. Number two, trying to cut back or stop drinking more than once but could not. Yeah, I'm two for two. That off switch became faulty. Didn't work anymore. Number three, spent a lot of time drinking, being sick from drinking, or getting over the after effects. My hand is up. Number four, wanted to drink so badly you couldn't think of anything else. Yeah, I started a podcast to help address that. So number four, yes, I'm four for four. Number five, found that drinking or being sick from drinking often interfered with taking care of your home or family, caused job troubles or school problems. I'm batting 100 here. Number six, continued to drink even though it was causing you trouble with family and friends. You know, but what is trouble? They don't really define trouble in this question. Ah, I'm kidding. Yeah, I was definitely number six as well. 100%. Number seven given up or cut back on activities that were important or interesting to you in order to drink. Ah, yep, seven for seven on there. I would sometimes lock myself in my room and just go big. Number eight, more than once gotten into situations while or after drinking that increased your chances of being hurt, such as driving, swimming, using machinery, walking in a dangerous area, or having unsafe sex. Within number eight, there's like seven or eight checklists that, yeah, I got all those and I got number eight. Number nine, Continued to drink even though it was making you feel depressed or anxious or adding to another health problem or after having a memory blackout. No, I don't, f nope, yep, got that one too. Number 10, had to drink much more than you did to get the effect you want or found that your usual number of drinks had much less effect than before. 10 for 10. Number 11, found that when the effects of alcohol were wearing off, you had withdrawal symptoms, a hangover, such as trouble sleeping, shakiness, restless, nausea, sweating, or racing heart, or seizure, or seeing things that were not there. Cool. I've always strived to be a good student, and I'm happy to report a score of 100%. 11 out of 11. 
So for shits and giggles, let's cover what it means if you didn't ace this like I did. It says, the presence of at least two of these symptoms means you have an alcohol use disorder. If you have two to three symptoms, it's considered mild. Four to five symptoms is considered moderate. Six or more symptoms is considered a severe alcohol use disorder. If you don't fall into the severe category, a mild diagnosis can still warrant concern as it may be the start of a larger problem, according to the DSM-5. All right, so according to this diagnostical tool, I had a severe drinking problem. And I've done enough field research personally to have no doubt what will happen within 15 minutes if I take that first drink. Also, this is great news. This guy, myself with a severe drinking problem, with the grace of the universe, will hit nine years without taking a drink this September. That is, if the stars align and Jupiter hits some sort of retrograde with Texas. Fingers crossed. A couple of things before we conclude with the intro. If you have a drinking problem, life isn't over. In fact, wait, it's just beginning. Yes, there are days I wish I could have some drinks with the boys, but overall, my pathway is headed somewhere different, somewhere beautiful, and I love where it's going. Next up, in my opinion, the DSM versions one through five is a dangerous book. Clinicians be careful using this book as a diagnostical tool. I remember once in 2011, I met with a psychiatrist for the first time, and after relating my symptoms, they scrolled through the DSM manual and said, oh, according to this, you have type two bipolar disorder, then scroll to the bottom of the page where the medication tally was listed, and I was put on bipolar meds, which fucked me up pretty good for a while. Why? Because I'm not bipolar. I had a severe drinking problem. In fact, one of the authors of the DSM-4, his name was Alan Francis, wrote a book called Saving Normal, where he comes out and says how dangerous this book can be. And why? It's full of dangerous labels, and mental illnesses are not separate from the whole community. Every single condition in that book is a canary in the mind signaling the whole of society is off kilter and everyone has played a role in the sickness and everyone must do their part if we are to heal. Okay, some of you may have just learned you have a drinking problem. If this is devastating to you, go to episode 411 where I talk about the grateful alcoholic. I love my life now, most days, and that's all due to a drinking problem or an invitation to step into my more authentic self. There's one more thing in my notes that I want to cover. We can simplify this whole intro. If you are listening to a sobriety podcast and you're not a therapist, a doctor, or listening to support a loved one, then you have a drinking problem. Let's look at it another way. If you entered sobriety podcast into your Spotify or iTunes search bar, you have a drinking problem. Reason why? Normal drinkers don't ask the question. So the previous thousand words was really just a fun way for us to come together because the whole equation is quite simple. If you question if you have a drinking problem, you just answered the question. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Lauren. As some of you may know, I'm a mom of two, and now that my kids are getting older, it's getting a little bit hard to find the day-to-day -day balance since everyone has different schedules, different activities, it's a lot, and in all honesty, it feels very overwhelming to me. It's like playing real-life Tetris. And I know that even though I have a lot to juggle, keeping my weekly therapy session set in stone and as a non-negotiable really allows me to keep my mental health in check. 
The tools I learn in therapy help me not only in my recovery journey, but also with the day-to-day stressors in life. My kids also deal with stress and passing on some coping skills to them is such a gift. We sometimes even take deep breaths together and it definitely helps us out. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Lauren to the podcast. Lauren, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Chris. It's really good to have you. Uh, I'm excited to to hear your story and, and learn about your journey so far. Uh, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? I have been sober a 115 days, so I'm coming up on four months. Coming up on four months. That's super exciting. Made it through the holiday season. How are you feeling? Good. I actually started four days before Thanksgiving. Who does that? You like a challenge, I think. Right. So yeah, made it through all the holidays. Well, that's fantastic. Great job, sister. I'm proud of you. Before we get into your story, let's hear a little bit about you. Can you let listeners know where you're from, what you do for a living, age, uh, married or family, anything like that? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? All right. Uh, I'm 54 years old. I live in Rochester, New York, born and raised here. I'm married. I have two adult kids, a six-year-old granddaughter, a dog, a cat. Um, I own my own business. I help seniors in their day-to-day tasks, um, which is really gratifying work. And for fun, I like to just be busy. I like to be um, outside. I like to also be inside and read and cook and craft. I just, I, I like learning new things. I love that. I think that curiosity for, for life is important. What sort of crafts do you like to do? I am obsessed with diamond painting right now. And if you don't know what that is, do you know what that is? Yeah, my, uh, we got my daughter one, but in case anyone listening doesn't, uh, doesn't know, give us a it's, description. It's, it's basically paint by numbers with these little beads that you put on. And it's very, um, you need to have a steady hand, but it's really, for me, it's, it's like meditation and I just really get into it. Um, and then at the end, you get this beautiful product. So I've been doing a lot of diamond painting the last few months. That's really cool. I don't, yeah, our, our 16 year old, we got her one. I don't know if it was last year for Christmas or the year before, but like I'd seen them and I'd heard of it and I just, I, I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it, but when she had it, we put a folding table up in her bedroom and when we laid it out with all the different, she had all her little diamonds like organized. I'm like, Holy smokes, kid. What are you, what'd you get yourself into? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's, um, it's, it's, it takes a while. Almost everyone I've talked to about it has been like, how do you do that? And it's just, you know, I have a hard time meditating and quieting my mind. So it really is kind of dual purpose for me. Yeah. Um, once, yeah. Once you can kind of get into that flow state, I think that's meditative, I think would be a good word. Not having done it, but I can, I can imagine that, yeah, it would put you in kind of that, you can turn it off and just kind of hyper-focus on the task. And sometimes that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Well, very cool, Lauren. Thank you. Now, 
let's get to the easy part. Let's do do what we came here to do and talk about this journey with alcohol that we're on. You got four months uh, or rapidly approaching four months of a beautiful sobriety. What started this whole journey? Let's let's start from the beginning and and we'll just walk this road forward together. Even as a kid, I was fascinated with alcohol. My parents weren't big drinkers. I mean, they're, you know, holidays maybe or somebody came over. Um, so it it does alcoholism runs in both sides of my family, but it really wasn't a thing um, in my immediate family growing up. But I was always fascinated by it. And when I was like 16, um, even though I looked every bit 16 years old and the drinking age was 21 here in New York, I would take everybody, all my girlfriend's money, and I would just walk into a liquor store with all the confidence of the world and walk out with a, you know, a case of booze. Uh, and that was kind of had been my role in my friend circle for a long time. Um, so I always enjoyed drinking. Um, it was fun. It was cool. I picked a university that was known. Um, well, all universities are known for like having a drinking scene, but I picked one that was like really known for it. Uh, like they basically major in drinking. And so I went to a college where I drank heavily, but still, you know, got good grades. I, went out into the world, was successful, got married, had a couple of kids, had good jobs, and just kind of maintained a level of drinking normally, you know, you know, and um, at least normal to me. Yeah. So looking back, there are things that I wouldn't say are normal. I don't, I don't think it's normal to make a gin and tonic and bring it to your, on your water bottle to your kid's baseball game. But I was, all the moms were doing it. So it was my mom, um, things like that. So really, I mean, I never really thought I had an issue. I could shut it off at any time. But in about six years ago, I started my own business, which is super stressful. My husband also started his. So that comes with a lot of responsibility, financial responsibility, just a whole, just a lot of stress. And uh, and then COVID hit. So, you know, everybody seemed to be drinking more. And I would say the last year and a half, two years, it just really exponentially accelerated the drinking and um it got daily unmanageable yeah wasn't wasn't good yeah that's yeah i think a lot of people experience that in covid let's i want to dip back to uh, so you started when you're 16 and i just can't i i gotta believe there's i don't know how many 16 year olds are listening to this but i know teenage me the idea of being able to walk into a liquor store <laughs> and buy for me and my friends like that would have just been a dream come true. I think I tried it like once or twice and they're like, looked at me and they're like, really? Like I lived in a small town. They're just really. And I'm just like, oh shit, I forgot my, I'll be right back. And then. Uh, yeah, I just, have, I have, I'm just really an outwardly confident person. Yeah. So I really just walked in like I belong there and I only had to do it a couple of times. And then I was a regular. Yeah. What the, <laughs> that's bananas to me. But It is not. So my friends still talk about it. <laughs> Funny. So during that time, you know, you, you had said that through, you know, your teenage years and, and into college that you would have called it normal, you know, and I think, I think that's part of you. Like, I don't, I don't want to normalize it, but like, you know, whatever, that's, that's part of being a kid. Sometimes it's just capricious youth is experimenting, figuring out who we are during that time. Was there was ever any indicators or did you ever have any sort of internal feelings? Like maybe drinking looks a little different for me than it does for other people. Never, never. I can honestly tell you 
that up until the last couple of years, that thought never crossed my mind. Okay. It's just dangerous in itself. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the, that's the thing with alcohol is not, not everybody. I mean, there are people who can, who can handle it and it's, you know, they, they don't have any of those indicators and it, it can be purely recreational for, for an extended period of time. And maybe they never crossed that line into problem drinking. And it was recreational just often. And I also now educating myself on alcoholism. Um, I always wore it as a badge of honor. I was, you know, I was, I was, I'm a little person. I'm five feet tall. Back in college, I weighed a hundred pounds and I could drink with the biggest guys. Like I could hold my own. I could always, my husband is a hundred pounds more than me right now. And I could go drink for drink with him. And he would be like, how are you doing that? You know, now I know it's the disease, but for my whole life, I was like, it's just how I'm wired. I don't know. It takes a lot for me to get drunk. And it was baffling to me. These people that like go out and have a glass of wine and get buzzed off of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. We kind of, we can, we condition ourselves and there's, you know, there's times too, where like, I'm, I'm a big, I'm like six, six, seven, but there's, you know, I've told people, you know, my friends that are normies, you know, I've had some of those reverse intervention moments where I'm like, yeah, this is what I was putting away. And they're just like, their eyes get big and they're like, how is, how in the hell, I don't, you drink consistently for 15 years and it's, it's amazing what your body can do. Right. I drank for 38 years, Chris. Yeah. So, and, and no, and so, and then, and then recently, recent years, I started noticing little differences. Like I went over to a friend's house and I poured myself a drink and they were like, holy shit, you pour a heavy drink. And I, and I, in my mind was like, I'm going to go light because I'm at somebody's house mm-hmm. and I don't want to drink all like, so then I was like, that's weird. And that, and I did in the last few years start saying to my husband, do you think I'm drinking too much? And he's a normie drinker. And he's like, probably wouldn't hurt to to cut back a little, to yeah. you know, to to because what happened was, I and I, I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself, but I progressed from I love vodka, vodka is my drink, mixed drinks, and then I mixed drink and then I have a shot when I was mixing the drink, and then I kind of was skipping the mixer altogether and just doing the shot, and then at the very end I was just drinking straight out of the bottle, mm. and my husband caught me one day through the kitchen window. He's like, were you just drinking out of the bottle? And I was like, no, who does that? And I got real defensive and angry. Like, that's ridiculous. You know, you're so insulting. Yeah. Like, of course I was drinking out of the bottle. Yeah. I can recognize that defensiveness. I think that's, that's protection, right? It's wild. Yeah. I want to, I want to get to, I want to get to these last couple of years, you know, that, that, early COVID, but let's just dip back one more second to, you know, you had mentioned uh, that you've got, that you got two kids and you, you talked about um, like going to, going to games and and things like that and, and pouring a cup for the road before you headed out. What did some of that culture look like for you, that drinking culture and balancing drinking with life, you know, as you, as you were raising kids, I think we have a lot of parents who listen to this show. Well, I divorced when my kids were two and four. So we had joint custody. I have a very, very good relationship with my ex-husband. A lot of people didn't even know that we were divorced because we got well and co-parented so well. So I would have 50% custody and he'd have 50%. So when I had the kids, I 
often wouldn't drink, you know, because you're focused or going to Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and all the things you do. But then every other weekend when I didn't have them, it was balls to the wall, it, mm-hmm. you know. But then Monday would come around and I'd be back to, you know, corporate America, Girl Scout leader, all that stuff. And that went on for like years, years. But I'd like to think it really didn't have an effect on my kids because I was, I'm, I'm incredibly high functioning. Yeah. I think, I think we've, we probably have a lot of listeners who, who can relate to that. We find a way. And again, I think, I think it's the protection of that, of that relationship with alcohol. And it sounds like you almost had the, like the phrase that comes into my mind is like a, like a hall pass on that 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 time you know when when your kids were with their with their father like you kind of had this hall pass and that probably allowed a little bit more of a created a path for all right this block of time Lauren's showing up a mom I'm going to do the you know like you said I'm going to be scout leader going to the games doing all these things and then on those the times off was kind of created that window to to let go yeah and I was single for four or five years between when I, my, we separated and, and then I remarried in those four or five years were, were bad. Um, I made a lot of bad decisions. I, I never, not kind of what I've never gotten so much of a speeding ticket or a DWI, but I should have on two different occasions. I totaled the car once and was able to talk myself out of it. You know, um, I, I just, it was, but then I got married and settled down into my, again, my husband's a normal drinker um, and just kind of settled into normalcy. Yeah. You know, but I did always drink every day. I would have at least Red Bull and vodka was my drink, you know, at the end of the day, but could keep it manageable for until I couldn't. Yeah. During that time, was there ever any sort of, uh, was there any inner dialogue taking place about uh, maybe this is something that it shouldn't be or, or did it all, you know, like you said that, I think that, that high functioning aspect that, that, that so many of us have can kind of keep us disillusioned and where in the, while we're living it, we don't, we don't really see it. It's a lot of times we don't see it until we're in that reflection state. I mean, it was kind of a work hard, play hard mentality, right. You know, and I was surrounded by people that were doing the same thing and, 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 and people that, you know, lawyers, accountants, success, I mean, successful people that, so it was just normal. Like, you know, you do your thing during the day and during the week and then all bets are off on the weekends or, you know, and then, so then when COVID hit, you know, I was home, my business uh, is going into seniors homes and helping them. So we were able to still do that because even with COVID people still needed grocery shopping, people still needed their sheets changed, that sort of thing. And it was just super stressful, like everything with COVID, right? It was just super stressful. And it was, and it, I felt like everywhere you looked, everybody was, you know, making memes about drinking and it was, became even more accessible than it had, if, if that's possible. Yeah. And it just, it just kind of continued. I, in my husband and I, because we're self-employed, have not taken a vacation in seven years, which I did not help. Um, so I would actually say to him when I was drinking, like, and I also, let's talk about this first, boundaries. I wouldn't let myself drink before 4.30 and I would stop at 8 during the week, but I would get as much in as I could, as much. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then I would go to bed. 
because I was tired <laughs> or passed out, however, whatever you want to call it. And I just got, was drinking more and more and we didn't take a vacation. And I would say to him, these three hours are my meditation. This is when like, I don't have to worry about anything else. I can just be me, be quiet, be relaxed, and then start the whole thing all over again. So I think that will never happen again. We won't go that long without a vacation. Yeah, justification. It's a real dangerous thing, I think, when we're when we get to a place where we're justifying that that alcohol use. And and I don't, I don't know. I I hope this doesn't come across as like condemnation towards towards any listeners but I, like but i had like i had the same thing i deserve this because you know l- my job is hard my life is hard i'm struggling I'm, but i'm providing and i'm and i'm functioning and i'm i'm doing all these other things so i like i deserve this and I, and what i'm doing like that thing that i s- supposedly deserve is just completely checking out it yeah doesn't serve anything it's not it's not benefiting me in every way it feels like a reprieve. It feels like, you know, like you even said, yeah. this is my vacation. It feels like I'm giving myself a break, but it's, but, but it's not, it's, it, it feels that's, that's the lie of it. Right. It would, and, you know, and I recognize that now, and even in this four months, you know, I'm a fast learner. So I've learned a lot in the last four months and I'm like, holy shit was my denial mechanism strong. And I can't remember, we have a friend who drinks too much, but he's single you know, and, and being jealous he like I actually wrote this down somewhere that I was jealous that he didn't have anybody keeping him in check and I had my husband keeping me in check and that pissed me off sometimes yeah that that accountability piece yeah. is, is really my husband <laughs> it can be really hard you know let's let's talk about the the covid aspect for a second since you brought it up that was what do we three years ago? Three years ago this month, I think, is when yes, right. this like this week. Yeah. Uh, just briefly, what was your life like pre-COVID? And then once things kicked off, you know, you'd mentioned your work going into into going into people's homes. I imagine that became just extremely complicated. But even uh like your your social life as far as your circles and the and the things that you were doing outside of work. What was it like before? And then what did it turn into once things kind of hit the fan? I'm really social. Um, I'm active in um, uh, a network, the Rochester Women's Network. I'm on the board. So a lot of activity with that. I was in a book club. My kids are adults, but they live in Rochester. But I would see them all the time and my granddaughter and friends. And I was always on the go doing things. And they weren't all alcohol related, you know, just you know, I loved going to the library. And then when COVID hit and that all stopped, I felt so claustrophobic. Um, and it was March, so the weather was still crappy here. And we were locked in the house. And it was just such a weird time. I mean, never in our lifetime would we have thought we were we don't have enough toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Like we were stressing about things that are insane. And but the liquor store stayed open. Plenty of vodka. (laughs) So it just, it was such, I think for people like myself that are extroverts and out in the community, that it was extra hard. I think for people that are introverts, they've been training their whole life for it. Like I have friends that said that they thought it was awesome. They didn't have to leave the house. So that definitely played a part as well. Yeah. Yeah. My wife, my wife is one of them goofy introverts and, and, uh, 
I mean, it was hard on her too. I mean, she's a teacher, so it was incredibly challenging, but the, the just kind of like chilling at home, like she was, she was into it, but you know, you, you bring up a good point. There's like the, the toilet paper. We're like, what a crazy thing. Like who would have thought that this, our country would have been turned upside down about toilet paper, but you know, I'm not a political person, but I'm a compassionate, empathetic person. And it was just, it was a lot. And, but I don't blame any of my drinking on any of that. It, that just didn't help anything. <laughs> yeah. There's, I think one of the, one of the common themes from that time in our, in our country and, and globally is there was just, there's a lot of fear. We, we didn't know. We saw, we saw the impacts that it was having on people and, and their health and in the casualties. And again, like not to get into like any of the politics of it, but it, I mean, we can't deny that it was impacting people. And then just as a whole, our country, again, with all the things politically and socially that were happening, there was, there was a, a lot of fear. And I've got a, a friend who's a, a trauma therapist. And she told me, she's like, you know, if, if we were told we've got to be locked down, you can't go out, you can't talk to anybody, you can't touch anybody, but it's going to last X amount of days. If we, if we had a, a mark on a calendar that we know when this is going to end, that people could do it. But because it was, it was an open-ended situation yes. that that that's where it's like how long do we have to do this and it just I, that just increased the tension of it so much more and yeah and uh, it was really you know in the population i work with the senior population which is already an isolated group of people were even more isolated and just you know i had people that the only people they would see would be myself or one of my assistants so it was it was just crazy. I'm just I, I'm hoping we're past most of it. You know, it's it, it was a it was a it was a dark time in our country, well, in the world. Yeah, but. yeah, and to try to reconcile that internally, and I love the word that you use, claustrophobic. I think that's I think that's a, a great word. That's you know that's how I felt. I live here in, in the Midwest, and we were we were late to the game and I remember seeing all these things happening, like playing out on the coast and just being like, shit, this like, this is coming our way and yeah. trying to take in every last minute, whether that was, it was probably irresponsible, but trying to take in like last minute interactions. Like I know what's coming down. You know, you, you said that was kind of when things really started to, to get hairy. It sounds like up until, up until this point, there was maybe some, some heavy, heavy usage, but it was, high functioning you manageable felt, yeah you felt like you were managing it had there ever you know I'm, i asked the question about you know in in your youth if you had ever recognized or thought that anything was different up until up until covid of three years ago like had had you ever considered slowing down or or stopping was that was it was there ever any attempts or thoughts i tried to do dry january a couple of times and i was like this is stupid and like it would only last a couple of days, but they never attributed it to being because I couldn't give up the alcohol. I just attributed it to being like, this is stupid. What's what's the point? Like, what's the end game? Why am I, you know, I don't have a problem. I don't need to stop. So again, I just, it, my husband says that he saw signs um, and it would say things to me, but wouldn't, and I, in that, in my kids, I guess, also were beginning to be concerned. But um, me, no, I was the last one to know. Okay, that's. I think that's no, no, normal. I don't know if that's the right word. I think in between you and I and our listenership, I think that's probably normal. 
Okay. So COVID, COVID kicks off. We've already, you know, talked about the struggles and, and like what a disaster that was. There's this escalation. What did the, what did that escalation look like? What did the, the consequences or, or how did, how did it start to impact your life on a different level? I was tired. I wasn't as engaged in my life. I was still functioning, doing all the things I needed to do. And then we took a vacation, a long-awaited vacation. We went away to Charleston, South Carolina and Savannah, Georgia. And it was absolutely amazing. Um, and I drank normally. Like one night we got a little buzzy, but like didn't didn't black out, didn't any, just completely normal drinking. And then when we came home, I did not re-enter reality well. I just lost my shit when vacation was over. Everything that stressed me out, everything, like it was all still there and it felt almost magnified because I'd been on vacation. And then, so that was, we came back from vacation like October 28th, I think. What year was this? 2022. 22, okay. Yeah. And I had done something stupid. I had posted something on Facebook that offended a friend of mine and someone I've been friends with for over 40 years and she was done with the friendship and I just felt um, I don't need to get into the details of it. I should never have posted what I posted. It was stupid. And I was drunk when I did it, of course. And I just couldn't get past the loss of, of, of this. And like, it was the mind chatter in my head. Like I couldn't quiet my mind. And the only thing that was quieting after vacation was the alcohol, but it really wasn't because the more I drank, the louder it got. But that, at that point it was just, it was I just went, that was October 28th. And then those, I had three weeks where it was bad. Yeah. What do you think it was after, after that vacation? Was there, was it being able to, to get away and then trying to, trying to jump back into what had, what had been your normal? Yes. I think it was having a taste of not having to worry about anything more than where are we going to eat tonight? And then coming back and being faced with all the responsibilities um, and this the normalcy. Like for me, drinking is part, was part of my routine. And when we were on vacation, the routine was different. But then I came home and the stress of, you know, the business and financial stress and just all the things that just life, right? And was there. And I just, I don't know. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. Lauren, that sounds like a a tough spot to be in to to recognize maybe it was a a glimpse of what was really what was really on your plate that i think when we don't have these breaks or we things can pile up for us and we maybe we don't realize all the things that we're taking on or we don't have a a clear picture of the things that we're using to cope with the things that are piling on and then to have a reprieve from that and then to come back in, you know, after a vacation to come back in and be like, okay, back to the normal. And then you, like, you're really getting a true picture for the first time of, of what normal is. Yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah. And then I just, I spun out of control. You know, those like those little merry-go-rounds that kids have at playgrounds where you spin and spin and spin and like you try and throw your friends off. That's what I felt like I was on. I felt like, and it was going faster and faster and I couldn't hold on. Like, I just felt like I was going to just be thrown into the universe. Like, I felt completely out of control and had no grip whatsoever. I felt helpless. Man, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry that you went through that. That sounds like a just like an incredibly challenging time to be in. Were there any sort of uh, tangible? You had mentioned that you know the friendship, the end of a, a meaningful friendship. Were, were there any other things taking place in that time? Any any other sort of consequences prior to that November twentieth date? You know, not really. I was lucky. I I, I was having stomach pains. And I had been put on a cholesterol medicine, so I was associated with that. But I was having these stomach pains consistently, and I was like, so I was getting worried about that. Let's get to you know, okay, three weeks or so after after vacation ends. What was that moment? What was the the moment that that got you to that day one? It wasn't a moment. It was a whole day. It was a Sunday. The Bills, the Buffalo Bills, were playing huge Bills, Bills country up here. So started drinking early. You know, that was a one o'clock game. Started drinking early, drinking early and often and drank so much that by seven o'clock at night, I was on the living room floor and I couldn't get up. And I was, um, my husband was really scared and he called my adult daughter, which you never want your kids to have to rescue you. And um, he didn't know what to do. And I was begging him to call an ambulance because I was convinced I was dying. And he's, he was like, no, I'm not calling an ambulance because we live in, you know, a tight knit community. You're, you do a lot in the community. Everyone knows you. And if you don't want an ambulance showing up outside our door in the whole neighborhood knowing. So I just kind of was able to get myself to bed hours later. Um, and I got up that Monday and that had been my third blackout in eight days. And I woke up and I was like, this is, this is nuts. What are you doing? And I, uh, I called my doctor and I said, I was having stomach pains. I lied a little bit. I called and said, I was having really bad stomach pains. And they brought me in and I just told them everything. And, uh, they sent me to an outpatient program the next day. I can, I can relate to that. I, my, on my day zero, I told my, I went in for a physical and they're like, Oh, Chris, what do you need a physical for? When I showed up, I was like, I don't need a physical. I don't know what to do. And same thing, just kind of word vomited. I did. I was going to say, like, I just, I couldn't, I was like, I'm done. And I thought I had pancreatitis uh, or pancreatitis. I didn't. Um, I thought I had ulcers. So they sent me for an ultrasound, like all this. And fortunately, I did not have any um, ill, like my body is fine from the alcohol consumption. I was able, I didn't have DTs, but it was, yeah, I was just done. I was, I, I, I just, I had a good run. I had a good run. <laughs> You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a blessing in those, in those moments to, to, to have a bottom, you know, like a, a, a bottom or, or those incredibly low moments like that to where we're, we've, we've got to go to a doctor and, and spill our guts. But uh, in hindsight, I think it is. And I'm really, I'm really grateful that you, that you did that for yourself and, and for your family and, and, and you got the help that you needed and got put into a, a program because you, because you're here with us today. And, like not to be dramatic, but like who knows otherwise. You know? It wasn't going to end for me well. And I, I really haven't mentioned this, but I was having some pretty significant suicidal thoughts and um, just like coming up with a plan. But I'm way too neurotic to do that. I would never have done that because I would have left chaos in my you know absence. So I, that I know I wouldn't have executed it. But the fact that I was having those plans, uh, thinking them through, uh, it scared me. And yeah. then I, get, I kept saying to my husband, I don't really recall this too much but i i'm scared i'm scared and i was scared of me yeah i was scared of me i mean this is a real sensitive 
question. And if it's, I mean, if it's not something you want to dig into, that's, that's okay. You can just let me know. But a lot of, again, like a lot of our listeners have probably been to that spot where, where we have thought about self-harm. I know that's, I know that's part of my story is that, you know, I was, I think I'm probably with you that maybe I'm too, too neurotic that I, I I hadn't got to a place yet where I was looking to, to try it, but, but I, I wanted it to be over. Do you know, have you thought about like what kind of the motivating thoughts behind that were like, like, why were you wanting it to just be over? I was ashamed. I was hurting and I'm so proud to say I was hurting or I needed help. Um, I'm a really strong person and I, I just couldn't, I kept saying, how did I get here? You know, and the other, the crazy thing is we know my husband and I know so many people that have either passed away or have significant health issues due to alcohol. So many, more than I can count. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to be part of that number. I was just done. I was, I was completely, I don't like the word surrender because surrender to me, I interpret is being weak, like giving up. I decided to get up and fight it. And I just knew I had changes had to be made. I'm glad that you made those changes. And I think a lot of us have that, you know, that shame and that fear about, about where we are. And a fear is, is real powerful and we, we can't see it blinds us and we can't see that there's any other options. And that for me, that was the motivation behind those those thoughts for me was there was this dark side of me that not everybody didn't see. You know, I had my version of pulling straight from the bottle, you know, and if people found that out, then, oh my gosh, then what are they going to think? Right. I So many people since I've entered sobriety and I'm very open in telling people have said to me, I had no idea. I would never have guessed. I'm like, well, yeah, that was the point. Mm -hmm. Right. I was very other than my husband and my immediate family. No one knew. I just, you know, I'd be out like a normal person, but I would have pounded, you know, three shots before I left to go to that happy hour, have one drink, come home and have a bunch more. But yeah, it was, which is also really dangerous. Right. Cause I was, I was such a good hider. Yeah. Yeah. By design again, that, that, that I, what keeps popping into my head is, is that protection of that relationship with booze. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about after, you know, after the doctor, you mentioned that you got into, um, did you say inpatient or outpatient? Outpatient. What did, uh, what did that look like for you? So it's, it's twice a week, you know, meetings. Um, I'm learning it's, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. So tools, I don't love it, if we're going to be really honest, primarily because there's not a lot of people like me in the group. So um, it's just people coming from different, and, and I'm not judging. I just, it's not necessarily, I'm not relatable to them and they're not relatable to me. So I don't love it, but I always come away with tools and inspiration and, and you know, and you're always like, they have it way worse than me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> always a plus. Right. Like I was trying to look at the bright side. So I do that the outpatient i've i i went to one aa meeting i know i'm supposed to try more than one just didn't resonate with me um i wanted to i think it's a great resource for lots of people it just um it wasn't right i'm i'm a spiritual person not necessarily a religious person and i know aa says it isn't you know religious but god is used a lot and um so that wasn't really the right fit but i do do smart recovery online which I really like a lot. 
I get a lot of uh, tools from that. And so that's been really helpful as well. And talking to people, yeah. just talking to people. I think that's a good point that not, not everything is, not everything is for everybody. And, and even, even though there's some dissimilarities in, in the treatment program, you know, like you said, I think, I think relatability is important. I mean, you know, it's, it's also important that we focus on the similarities, not the differences. Yes. But also also relatability and kind of finding that community of people that, that, that we have things in common with. I'm, I'm an AA guy, but I also understand why people are not AA people. (laughs) I can, I can see where it's not, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, smart is one of those things where I think smart is, if listeners, if you haven't heard of smart, uh, go check out their website. I mean, they can explain it a hell of a whole lot better than I can, but it's like cognitive CBT based, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really about, you know, building motivation, coping with urges, managing your thoughts, you know, tool, life skills, really. It's, it, it, um, so it's, it's really helpful to me. I, I, I like their program a lot. That's great. And I think, uh, you know, kudos to you for trying a few different things. And I, I think we live in a good time. There's, it's better than it's been in the past. Like even in the last few years, I've seen uh, a ramp up in the number of resources and and programs that are out there. And uh, as long as we've got a little bit of curiosity and and willingness to try different things, I think there's something out there for everybody. Yeah. And I I live in an area where we have a lot of resources. We have University of Rochester. We have which is, you know, has a medical school. So there's a lot of resources in my area. So I'm really fortunate for that. But, you know, the one thing, really great thing that came out of COVID was Zoom and in, in the virtual, I mean, I know it was there beforehand, but just the virtual meetings, if you want to get help, it is out there for you. Yeah, that's a fact. We've, in 2023, not not everybody, but I think most people have some sort of experience jumping on a Zoom meeting and uh, the accessibility has has really ramped up. I know just in in Cafe RE in our online community, five years ago when I joined, we had you know maybe one meeting one meeting a week, and there's times now where we have three plus meetings a day. Oh yeah, I have the calendar right on my wall. Yeah, perfect. I forgot to mention I'm also a breast cancer survivor. Oh, I should have mentioned that. That's amazing. How uh, how nine long? years? Nine years. Nine years. Took a little liking to the opiates there for a while too. It's weird, right? We <laughs> these things that help us check out the way we find. Uh, yeah, we, forget that. <laughs> way we find uh, the the way they find home. Yeah, and I don't like wave the breast cancer survivor flag. Just like I don't plan on labeling myself an alcoholic. It's a piece of me. Mm-hmm. It's not. I don't define as. I don't identify as money. Any one thing. Yeah, it's just part of our story. Part of our path. Uh, before we get into, uh, before we get into the rapid fire section, I just want to know if, see if, see if I can get you to touch in the last four months, what has your relationships, what have, what have some of your close relationships look like with your, your grandchild, your kids, your husband, how have those changed in the last few months? I am happier. Um, I'm able to communicate. My husband and I are communicating better than we ever have. I didn't know, but my husband um, and my kids were talking behind my back about they were there was concern. Um, so they're relieved and proud of me. Um, my son's getting married in September. So he said, 
we were worried about you at the wedding. So um, now they don't have to worry. And my granddaughter, she's a nut, so she doesn't <laughs> notice any different. But just in general, I just feel a, a, a more clarity. I feel like if you, I don't know if you wear glasses, but if you like you go to the doctor and they're like, you need a new prescription and you get the new prescription and everything is just clearer. And you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> like the fog is lifted. What a great analogy. Yeah, we don't, we get so used to just trudging this, you know, this muddy, murky road. And then when we, we give ourselves the opportunity to, to lift that. It was so foggy and I had no idea that I was in such a fog. Yeah. So, so, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. I still get cranky. I still get, want to punch the idiot that cuts me off on the street. You know, like I still have all that stuff, but I don't go home and drink it away anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That whole, uh, Zen monk, uh, that whole Zen monk idea. Sometimes, sometimes it's never going to go up right away. Okay. I'm a hundred percent Italian and I'm a Gemini. All right. So I'm never going to be like all namaste not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But our ability, like you said, our ability to, to not have to go home and, and, and take a pull just because traffic sucked or work right. a little stressful. What a gift. It is a gift. Lauren, I don't know where, where our time has gone, but we are at the rapid fire round in 30 to 60 seconds. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Number one, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I wouldn't be able to have fun anymore. All the fun would be sucked out of my life. Mm-hmm. Very common response. Number two, what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? My memory. I, I have always been known for having a really good memory. Like my friends call me Rain Man. And then about a year ago, I couldn't remember my social security number. So uh, my memory is back as strong as ever. So I'm excited about that. Nice. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Club soda and cranberry. Soda and cranberry. We'll twist a lime and you call out a poultry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. What is your plan in sobriety moving forward? To keep educating myself. There's so much to learn in this arena. Uh, so just keep educating myself, gathering tools, and, uh, and and making connections. So just you know, keep keep doing that, building community. I've met I've met a couple of really nice people through uh, Recovery Elevator already, and I've only been involved a short time. Nice. Uh, and what is your favorite resource in recovery? This can be a book, an app, a program, anything like that. So I do this thing every day. I make a video diary entry for myself. So I do. I find that really helpful because it's it, self-affirmation. But also if I'm having a bad day, I can look back at a bad day and realize a good day come followed after it. So that's probably one of the most helpful things I've found as, as far as like really programs. I am getting a lot out of Recovery Elevator and the Smart Recovery are my favorite resources. That's cool. I love that idea of a of a video diary. I like that I've journaled, I've dabbled in journaling, but like, I hate writing. <laughs> it's so much easier because I can get, obviously, like you can talk faster than you can write. I, le- I keep it to two minutes and I just, whatever I want to say that day. And I talk to myself in the third person sometimes like, 
Good job, Lauren. You're doing it. Good That's job. Keep it. That's really cool, Lauren. I like that. Is that, uh, do you use an app or is it you just record videos? I just record it on my computer and save it in a file called Video Diary. <laughs> I love it. I think that's really, really neat. I, I know. It. I should share it. Very cool. I love it. All right. And last, but certainly not least, Lauren, what is your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if your neighbor who is an alcoholic is hiding in his car drinking and you think, hmm, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Taking notes. <laughs> Here's what I should do. Yeah. True story. And he had gotten a new liver. What the hell? I know. It was, it's really sad, actually. It's really sad. So literally, I saw him sneak out and he like is in the council and put it and then get back out of the car and i'm like he might be on to something yeah listeners we need to consider where we're taking our life advice and suggestions <laughs> from. we say that without judgment but just with honesty and accountability towards ourselves. where are we where are we taking notes from lauren early congrats thank you on your, on your upcoming milestone uh, i'm proud of you you're doing a great job and and i'm excited uh excited to see where you're going to go from here. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Lauren, for coming on the show today. You're going to help a lot of people. Before we get out of here, I want to announce that spring has finally arrived here in North Dakota. Kinda. Still pretty cold outside, but the weather is looking up. With that come some unique challenges. The transition between seasons means that we may need to adapt to changing situations. As more outdoor events and activities start to take place, we may start to notice coolers coming out full of alcoholic beverages. I don't bring it up to try to scare anyone, but more as a point of observation. After spending the winter in the four walls of my house for the most part, it's good for me to be aware that I may encounter more people drinking if I'm attending events. It's a chance for me to make sure that I've got my accountability in place and that I have a plan. If I'm aware of these new situations, I have a better idea of what I'm going to do going into them, or I can make the decision to pass if it's not right for me. It's not about being scared of being around any sort of drinking, but recognizing what's worth it and what isn't. With that information, it's now my decision to make. Take a look at your upcoming events, RE. Don't stress out but simply be aware of what's out there. Set yourself up for a spring where you can enjoy the nice change in weather and meet your alcohol-free goals. We're the only ones that can do this, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.
why you're doing this. And then, go get it.